It's the Adam Ritz Show, a social awareness talk show touching on fellowship, leadership, philanthropy, and more. Adam hosts the show on location from coast to coast, interviewing college students, student athletes, campus administrators, professional athletes, and social experts about social issues ranging from bullying to Twitter and everything in between. And now, it's your social awareness radio host, Adam Ritz. The Adam Ritz Show is on campus at the University of New Hampshire. Hampshire today, and we are broadcasting in front of this live studio audience. It's fantastic. The New Hampshire love. Thank you so much for hosting the show. We travel the country and talk to uh, students and student athletes about their leadership, their philanthropy, how they give back to the community. Joining us on the program is Julian Turner. Hi, Julian. How are you? I'm doing good today. How are you? I'm fine. Uh, what is your team? You look like a student athlete. Uh, I'm representing the football team today. And what's your uh, position? I play defensive tackle. Defensive tackle. Okay. So what, what makes you uh, the best defensive tackle in the conference? I come out, I work, uh, I do what I can for my brothers, and the beard definitely helps it out a little bit. The beard helps. We got to put a picture of you on the website. Okay, go to adamridgeshow.com and check out the beard. When did you start growing that, yesterday? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> the, fir- the first couple of hairs sprouted in probably eighth grade, but, you know, it's been a little journey since then. All right, well, uh, beard aside, let's go now to community service with uh, Julian Turner. What do you guys do to help out the, uh, the area? Uh, every year during the spring semester, we hold our annual bone marrow drive where we hang out outside the uh, main cafeteria here, and we gather around people to come and sign up so we can find matches for people with uh, bone marrow needs and issues and things like that. <laughs> That's fantastic. And, and what part of the semester is that? During the spring semester, usually in uh, middle April. And can we uh, find some information about that on the Internet, maybe a Facebook page, or uh, just Google the unh.edu website? Maybe it's probably on the athletics website. Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure our, our, the UNH Athletics has good coverage of it, definitely on the Bone Marrow Drive websites. It'll be up there, and then there's always dates and times and days posted when we do these things. All right. Well, that's uh, fantastic. Getting involved with the community. Everybody listening, get off your couch. Make this planet a better place like Julian does. Let's have a round of applause for Julian Turner and everybody here at the University of New Hampshire. Fellowship, leadership, and philanthropy. Conversations and interviews from all over America. It's the Adam Ritz Show. Continuing on in Durham, New Hampshire, on the campus of the University of New Hampshire, we're lucky enough to be joined by a couple of uh, the staffers from the athletic department from football. It is Bobby Callahan. Hi, Bobby. How are you? Good. How are we doing today? I'm fine. You're the director of football ops here? That's correct. And uh, we also have from the men's hockey team, Colin Shank. Hi, Colin. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, and we bring you both on to sort of tag team um, one of the uh, community service projects uh, that you guys do, and I heard about this in the hallway. I want to I want to bring this up for our listeners so they know exactly how um, two different teams at the same university can work together. We cover a lot of community service, and I got to tell you, uh, in the history of this show, this is the first time we're covering a community service project or a community service issue that's been touched by two different teams at the same university. So, Bobby, let's start with you. Um, what do you guys do? We uh, we joined a program called Friends of Jacqueline, which has a which is part of a, a campus run deal away from the athletic department. And the people in Friends of Jacqueline were were kind enough to introduce us to the program. We adopted a um, a ten year old boy, Julian Sarve, who has brain cancer, 
and what we've done is adopted him as a member of our team. And, and really, the hockey team deserves a lot of the credit here with what we did because we followed their lead in this. They had been doing it for a while with, the, with their own member of the team through Friends of Jacqueline. So we were fortunate enough to get our own member, member in Julian, and it's been great for our guys. It's been great, great for Julian. It's been great for us to see how the hockey team does their outreach as well. So it's Friends of Jacqueline. Friends of Jacqueline is the organization um, that's in the New Hampshire area, or that's a national organization? It's a national organization. I believe it started at Northwestern Lacrosse. Uh, the women's lacrosse team at Northwestern um, adopted uh, a young girl named Jacqueline who was suffering from brain cancer, and, and they saw what it did for her life and, and how it, it lifted her spirits and how it benefited not only the Northwestern uh, women's lacrosse team but the community there, and, and it's become a national program that, again, we've been fortunate enough to join. So you have adopted a young man named Justin? Julian. I'm sorry, Julian, and so I can imagine he... You know, gets all the gear, New Hampshire, the hats, the shirts. He's on the sidelines during the games, during the practices. What happens? Yeah, we, we adopted him at the end of last season. He came to a practice, and then when the season ended, we had an official adoption ceremony with the, uh, with the administrators from Friends of Jacqueline in our locker room. We signed him to a contract to the team, a scholarship contract, and, you know, we, we've given him the gear. He's been to some of our team functions, and, uh, and this year, you know, we look forward to having a game, doing some coin toss stuff before the game and all that. Oh, that's fantastic. That's uh, Julian, uh, the newest member of the New Hampshire uh, Wildcat football program, uh, and it's through the national program known as Friends of Jacqueline. And I'm sure you can look for information at uh, friendsofjacqueline.org or maybe jacqueline.org, or you can just Google it. Friends of Jacqueline, FOJ is how, is how it's shortened up. So if you Google Friends of Jacqueline or FOJ, you okay. can find all information. So, Bobby, you mentioned that you heard about Friends of Jacqueline from the hockey team here at New Hampshire, and now we bring on Colin Shank from the men's hockey team. You're a coach as well? Uh, handle hockey operations. Hockey, so. Director of hockey yeah. operations. So uh, when did you guys with New Hampshire Hockey first get involved with the Friends of Jacqueline? Sure. A couple of years ago, we had a student on campus, uh, Brittany Thompson, who was um, the sister of one of our players, Paul Thompson, and she was interning for Friends of Jacqueline, and their founder, Dennis Murphy, came up. We did adoption, kind of like the football program, and uh, our guy, Andrew Silsby, has been with us for a couple of years, and Andrew's healthy now and has checkups and everything like that, and everything's good, so he's with us uh, every game and travels on the road sometimes with he and his mom, Sue, so they come down to the locker room before the game and, uh, you know, get the guys going and things like that, so he's there most practices and, and a lot of games. So. And he, Andrew is his name, yeah. and he's completely healthy now yeah yeah he's healthy he still needs fantastic yeah he still needs a lot of checkups but it's a great program because it really partners kids with a program so it's not like he's just a part of our program for one year he's a part of our program now he's listed on the roster and that's what what a lot of these teams do so it's kids are with the program and it's more than just um being there we're trying to get andrew jobs so he's associated with the program so he you know he feels like he belongs and and brings something to the table as he as he really does you know, I was afraid to ask because I just naturally assumed that these kids were terminal. So that's fantastic yeah. to hear Andrew's um, doing better. He's going to be fine. He's a member of the hockey team, which yeah. he, he so he gets all the perks. Yeah. He's going to he's going to have all the connections of UNH hockey for the yeah. rest of his life. Maybe he'll be a hockey coach in the NHL someday. Yeah, we'll see what happens. You know, he's uh, he's never played hockey, but he's learned how to skate before practice with a couple of our guys. So he's really getting it down, working on his shot. So we'll now, see what happens. Before he came became part of your team, is he a hockey fan? Yeah. Or was he like? 
okay, I guess I'll learn hockey since the hockey team adopted me. Yeah, I think he was a hockey fan before. He does uh, cross country now. He's involved in a couple things at school. And he, actually, he does a great job. He, he speaks at their gala. And he gives a great speech uh, about what he's gone through and what the program means to him. So uh, friends, Jacqueline and Dennis Murphy is the founder and his daughter went through that. And that's who he started the partnership with. So, so that's a national organization, Friends of Jacqueline. I'm sure I, I would like our listeners to see some of the stuff online with your chapters here at New Hampshire. So I'm sure there's some video on YouTube or something. Search University of New Hampshire, Friends of Jacqueline, and find out more about this awesome program here with the New Hampshire Wildcat Athletic Department. Now, before I let you guys go, uh, let's have a little fun between the football team and the, and the hockey team, men's hockey here at New Hampshire. Um, how do your guys get along? I mean, you always hear about inter-squad rivals. Do, you, do the hockey players walk down the hall, and do they high-five the football players, or is there a rivalry? Are they trying to get more attention or less attention? Are there fights? Are there arguments? Well, you know what? We have a great relationship here because uh, the head coaches of both programs went to UNH, and they've been here for so long. that, uh, And like Bobby and myself, we hang out a lot. So the, the programs are pretty close. The older guys get it. We try and get the younger guys to understand. And as I always tell the football guys or the hockey guys, you better, you better pay attention because the football guys, there's a lot more of them. They're a lot bigger. So. <laughs> and, Colin, uh, is there any chance of getting a 6'6", six 300-pound six, lineman on skates? Yeah, yeah. We're going to put them in the corner and just wait for <laughs> For somebody to come by and he'll squash them there. So, <laughs> all right. Well, Colin, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. And uh, Bobby Callahan with New Hampshire Football. Again, thank you for joining us, and we look forward to watching all your success here with the Wildcats. Thank you, Adam. Appreciate your time. It was a lot of fun. Get socially technical with the Adam Ritz Show. Facebook Adam Ritz Show. Twitter at Adam Ritz. It's social technically. Doing our best to bring you interesting people from across the country to talk about social awareness and leadership. And our next guest is uh, an expert in the field of generational codes. Can't wait to find out more about that. It's Anna Leota. Hi, Anna. How are you? Great. Glad to be here. Uh, I just heard you speak at a professional athlete conference. Um, Do you work with professional athletes and how do you? Mm -hmm. I do. I actually work with the organizations that support professional athletes and helping them understand what makes each generation tick and what ticks them off. That could be how do we lead and manage them or how do we attract them to our game both on the surface and in the seats. Okay, so the um, the terminology that jumped out at me when I heard you speak was generational codes. Uh, I guess tell our listeners what is that all about? We don't know it, but we're acting and reacting based on a deep, deep resonance of our generational code. What we know is that about age 8 to 18, we're watching the world and we're observing the leaders, the icons, the events, and we're absorbing because about age seven, our brains start to make the capacity for logic. So when there's an event and there's an emotion that's paired with it, it creates an imprint. So between eight to 18, we're developing a code, generationally speaking, of how we perceive the world, what we value, who we trust, what inspires us, what motivates us. And for the rest of our life, we don't know it, but it's operating underneath, kind of like an operating system. And it's informing our actions and our reactions and our choices. Now, when did you uh, get into this professionally? Because it's fascinating about your family. Um, you explained your family life. You're, you're one of like 75,000 kids. Yeah, exactly. So you, you're, you've got this whole generational expertise <laughs> even before you probably went to first grade. Um, but how did you, I guess, move from such a big family? And again, inform me and our listeners about your family, uh, how many children there were or are, and how that, I guess, transformed into a professional career. 
It's true. I am one of 19 children. Not 19. 19, truly, truly. And yes, for the listeners, Catholic, for those of you doing the math at yeah. home. And uh, I grew up in a household of six generations. My dad was a GI generation, and I was a Gen Xer, or am a Gen Xer. So I really was curious how he saw the world differently than me. So it was basically a survival mechanism to start understanding what shaped his worldview and what shaped my worldview and where we conflicted. So I began studying it intensely in college and then began my consulting firm and my speaking career about 10 years later and came back to the generational understandings as a way of helping people lead and manage and motivate and sell. Well, the book is uh, called Unlocking Generational Codes. I'm sure it's available on Amazon. or Just a simple Google search can find Unlocking Generational Codes by Anna Leota. Anna is our guest. And um, the thing I find fascinating is just how people communicate um, social media or otherwise. And uh, something you were talking about in my world is uh, know your audience. So with anybody in any field, know your audience. And um, in a world of ad- advertising, know your audience. In, in your, your world, um, know your audience is a, is a generational thing. You may have to tweak how you're trying to get your message across to your end user based on what year they were born. Absolutely. It is no longer sufficient to have one message and think that it will communicate across the generations on how you present it. If you have a millennial that you're trying to communicate to, they're going to want to know how your message is hyper-customized to them to explain their experience. When it comes to nonprofits, millennials don't want to give to a nonprofit to get their name on a wall. Baby boomers did. Baby boomers wanted the status of giving to a nonprofit. Millennials want to join a movement. They want to give $5 right now on demand because their move touched and inspired. But Gen Xers want to give to the bricks and mortar of a nonprofit. They want to get underneath and say, I don't care about my name on the wall. I want to know what will establish this nonprofit being there for the future. And so they each give very differently. So if you're positioning your offer of participation by the code of the baby boomer and you're saying here's the status that you're going to get by giving it completely turns off the gen xer and the millennial thinks that you sound like the adults from charlie brown's world wah, 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 mm-hmm. wah, wah, wah. <laughs> so i guess just to organize it in a timeline the uh, we have baby boomers then gen xers mm-hmm. which i am as well mm-hmm. uh then millennials mm-hmm. Uh, And what's after that? What's the next generation? So the globals are the next generation after the millennials. They've been called nexters for a few years as Uh they come into their own, but now they're called the globals. And they really look at the world differently. They are completely as connected to kids around the world as they are to kids in their own school, neighborhood, city. They think of themselves as global citizens. People born, what, 2005 or or after? Absolutely, yeah. 2005 uh, until today. And then, uh, so what do you see from your office uh, looking forward? What's that generation born in 2020? What are they going to be called? Let's name them right now and copyright it. <laughs> well, you know, you really can't name a generation until they get into their formative years because then their their essence starts to arise, and that's kind of how we understand what their name is. So you can't pre-name. Like the millennials a long time were called Gen Y because they were that was the next letter in the alphabet. But the essence of the millennial, the new energy of the uh, century was really what coined their name. Well, before I let you go, um, you're active on Twitter, and it is? It's A-N-N-A-L-I-O-T-T-A, Ana Liotta, at, on Twitter. <laughs> at Ana Liotta. Okay, and I apologize. I think That's I said right? Liotta, because I'm a big Goodfellas fan. I like there Ray Liotta. Go. 
So it's Anna, 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 Anna Lyota, mm-hmm. Anna Lyota, at Anna Lyota on Twitter. And before I let you go, um, you know, you speak at these conferences, you've got this book, you're mm-hmm. uh, an expert in your field, people listen uh, to you and care about this subject, uh, how to communicate with different generations, and it seems to me like, don't be rude to this millennial generation, but they, sometimes they just don't get it, uh, whether it's paying attention or listening. Uh, once you and I are gone and forgotten in a hundred years, um, I fear for those generations, I don't know how they're going to get along or communicate or listen or even coexist in a room. Um, I know I'm, I'm putting you in a, um, a weird spot saying, put, put on a, your fortune teller cap and tell me what you see in the future. But, but how is this going to move a uh, hundred years from now in your field? Well, it's such a great insight because every generation thinks the generation after them has some challenges. So you're in good company to worry about the next generation and how they're going to survive. The good news is they are adapting very quickly to the reality of the world today. We grew up in a time where when you plugged in your computer, you plugged it into a wall, not to the World Wide Web. They have always had hyperconnectivity as part of their reality. So millennials and the globals don't think of face-to-face as more valuable than virtual connections. So while we say, okay, put the phone down, unplug, look me in the eye, that's a sign of respect. To them, while they're looking at their phone while talking to you, they're looking up something that answers the question that you just asked them. So for them, they're connecting as closely to you as it would be if they were just looking you in the eye and waiting till later to go pick up their phone. So it's not that they're going to not get along in the world. They're going to adapt to the world as the world is 20 years, 50 years from now. Yeah. So we're actually the ones that kind of have to adapt. And yes, there are things they learn from us as well, but there are things that they can teach us because they're mentors and they're mentees at the same time. So people in 1920, they, they were asking the same questions. How are they going to get along in That's the year right. 2000? That's right. All right, Anna. Lyota, thank you so much for your time and your wonderful insights. Again, the book is Unlocking Generational Codes. Thank you so much. And you know, there's one other area that folks can go to. That Unlocking Generational Codes is my book, but there's now an online curriculum called the Generational Institute, which is a full on-demand curriculum that people can purchase so they can bring this information in video as well as um, audio to their office, to their home, to their community. Is that a dot .com? Or? That's a dot .com, and the generationalinstitute.com. This is pretty fascinating stuff. We encourage our listeners to uh, check it out. Thanks again. Yeah, thanks so much. Great to be here. Get socially technical with The Adam Ritz Show. Facebook, Adam Ritz Show. Twitter, at Adam Ritz. It's social, technically. We travel the country to cover these stories, social awareness, community service, integrity and character. And we do it usually from a sports angle because I love sports and I know uh, sports emulates real life. So we have another conversation, sports-oriented, with uh, character and integrity in mind. We're here in Arlington, Texas, on the campus of UT Arlington with the athletic director, Jim Baker. Hi, Jim. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate you uh, coming down here today and talking to our student-athletes. I had a great time with your athletes. Uh, High-character group of people. I learned about your volleyball team that raised $5,000 for breast cancer awareness. I learned about uh, your student athletic advisory committee that did a canned food drive for the needy. Um, talk a little bit about that community service, how important it is through your office as director of athletics to get that message across to your student athletes. Well, 
you know, the student athlete, we just really stress them from day one when they're here that they got to get back to the community. And it's something that they got to learn to do while they're here in their four years, five years. And it's just something that makes them feel better you know, about themselves and, and being able to be role models and, and be able to, you know, they're asking the community to come support them. We need to support the community. And so we really do a push on that, not just on the, the community, but also on campus, being involved on campus. That uh, You can't be in your little silo and your little cliques and hang there. you got to get out and uh, make the most of it while you're here on campus. How do you get um, that message across to the least proactive person on your teams. You're going to have a lot of guys and girls that, that want to be involved. Uh, and there's an average. There's somebody that doesn't want to be involved. And then there's that middle group. How do you get the people that are just like, this is stupid. It's a waste of time. I'm, I'd rather study. I'd rather party. How do you get the person that's not really that interested to say, hey, this is important? Well, it, it, we rely on the student athlete and the SAC. I mean, that's there. Each, each uh, sport has their represented on there. And we really push those team leaders because they want to be on the SAC to be the leaders. So we put a lot on them to push their uh, their players or I mean their teammates to to be involved. Uh, the volleyball again, uh, you know, raising over five thousand dollars, you know, for uh, breast awareness. I mean, it was a great, and they got into it as a team. They loved it. I mean, you know, I had one, you know, the the Ashley who you interviewed tonight. Um, that she, you know, she emailed Mr. Baker, can you give this? And you know, so I gave, you know, right there online did it, and then at the volleyball game, you know, to Mr. Baker, well, yes, I threw some more money in there. So it's just they got into it. it was a competition. It was fun. They knew it was for a great uh, cause. So it's just it's contagious. It really is. And, but, you know, there are the kids who, you know, they're not going to get involved, and that's where you got to get the teammates to push them. So your expertise is uh, mostly with college student-athletes, your own student-athletes, collegiate level. I like to talk about uh, service and getting involved, getting off the couch, helping out with your community, making this planet a better place with high school students and high school student-athletes. And all the high school students I talk to uh, ask me, how do we become college student athletes? How can I go play college sports? And I usually always tell them, my answer is n never has to do with sports. I'm like, obviously, you need to run fast and jump high and be strong and be quick and athletic. But I just hammer home that they need to get off the couch and be uh, a community oriented person. Um, for our listeners that are in high school that want to go play college sports and as an athletic director at a college, what, what can you tell a high school student athlete the importance of getting involved with their community? Well, I, I think it just it's a whole well-rounded person. And again, um, at that age, they're not thinking about that. They're thinking about me. And, you know, so it's hard. And that's it's hard for them to look forward. And you, you said it today so well in your presentation, the kids. You know, that one moment can affect you for the rest of your life. And I think that's the same thing with high school kids. They don't look past that moment. And so, again, that's something that they need to look at. And that helps them to build the resume for college. And, and maybe it might not be a student athlete, but a lot of colleges don't just look at grades. They'll look at the community service and what you did and the groups. that you Were you a leader? Were you on student council? Were you a president? Were you in some other things you know, in your high school? And they want more of a well-rounded kid to come to college. So I think that helps in uh, going into athletics or just going to college. Jim Baker is our guest. He's the director of athletics at University of Texas Arlington, one of the uh, Splinter campuses of the UT system. Is Splinter the right term, by no, the way? It's just one of the system schools. One of the yeah. system schools yes. of the UT system. Right. And you spent some time at UT Austin 
And uh, how long were you there? Uh, 20 years. 20 yeah. years. And how long have you been here? Uh, three years. Three years. Okay. So you've uh, had a little bit of a vocational change. Uh, what's that been like? Uh, you know, we even cover job opportunities on this social awareness yeah. radio show. What's it been like to be a part of that machine in Austin with the Longhorns? And now you're the grand poobah. You're the head athletic director, the director of athletics right. uh, at UT Austin. Uh, I'm sorry, UT Arlington. Right. It's... Um, it still comes down to the student athlete, and that's the thing that you never can lose focus on. You know, we we got a smaller budget than they have down in Austin. You know, about one sixteenth the size, but it's still the same mission. And the mission is that my job is to do everything I can to make these kids successful, not only on the court or the playing field, but also in the class and graduating them and making sure that. When they get out of here, they're a better person. And so that's what I challenge my staff every day. So every decision we make is about the student athlete and the coaches because without those two, I wouldn't be here, and that's our mission. So, again, it's uh, – Every college is is the same with that. You know, again, budgets are different, and and maybe you know the things that you can give them. But it to me, it still comes down to providing for the student athlete the best, uh, giving them the best chance to succeed in life. Well, not only the student athletes that you have to worry about being the athletic director, but you just mentioned your staff. Um, 20 or 50 people under you? I don't know, 100? How many? Uh, we, we got about 55 full-time. 55 full-time staff under you that you manage. And I guess part of your, I guess, job description is um, in a social awareness sort of arena is to let your staff know, hey, if you get caught up in a situation, a drunk driving, a DUI, you're going to be fired. I mean, how much does that come into play when you hire somebody or while they work here? Is that a daily conversation once a month? Is there a reminder? It's funny you say that because um, obviously with the things that have been going on around and, and with the social media and the attention that's come, that has become a big conversation with our coaches. It's in their contracts, um, and it's just something that we – we have met with them in the last month and talked to them about it. Obviously, some things that happened uh, in the state of Texas that came to the forefront uh, with UT Systems, they came through with a new standard of, of um, how you can act and what you can do. And so now that is uh, implemented on each campus. And so, yeah, it's just something you just, you know, we're holding our student athletes responsible. We have to hold our staff responsible, and it starts with with me. All right. Well, that's great stuff. I can't uh, thank you enough for coming on the show to explain how things work socially here at UT Arlington. Uh, let's uh, do some recruiting and some admissions work. Uh, what's the best part of this campus for our national audience? It's just, uh, I think people don't know a lot about it. It's uh, 35,000 students here now. It's uh, right. I mean, That's huge. That's yeah. a huge campus. It, that's as big as any Big Ten school. Yeah, and it's just, there's just a lot going on. We got a lot of research going on. We got a lot of energy coming in here. It used to be known as a commuter school. Now we got over 5,000 beds on campus. And so it's just, there. it's a lot going on here and the, the future is really bright and it, it's, it's fun to be part of it. You know, we got a new basketball arena we opened up two years ago of 7,000 seats and it's as nice arena as anybody has in the country. It's not the biggest, but we have everything we need to train our student athletes and, and um, the academic center and all the uh, things that you need to put around them to make them successful. So it, it's, a, it's a great campus. It's a great university, and uh, I'm lucky to be here. Jim, thank you so much for your time. All right, thanks, Adam. Get to know Adam at adamrich.com. 
Get to know the radio show at adamritzshow.com. Okay, excellent. Thank you for that love, Auburn University. And we are here now with our first guest. His name is Eddie C. And uh, you are part of the IFC here, the Interfraternity Council, one of the student leaders on campus at Auburn. And uh, we came down here to cover this uh, program you have called The Auburn Man. Can you tell us more about The Auburn Man? Yeah, so the, uh, the Auburn Man program is Interfraternity Council's new member education program where we bring in uh, speakers like yourself from all around the country to cover issues that fraternity men face in their lives. So high-risk issues, drinking, hazing, assault, sexual assault, uh, something that could go wrong on a Friday night that could really affect victims and, and their, these young men's lives forever. So we're talking about those kind of issues. And then I have to believe, too, you uh, have a, a pretty big uh, say-so with philanthropy, community service. As, a, as an Auburn man, you want to get involved with your community. Uh, tell me about your fraternity and what you guys do with community service. Yes, yeah, so I'm a member of Theta Chi, and uh, our philanthropy is USO. So we're, uh, we're supporting the troops, and we've um, we've started this text-to-give campaign. We're actually going up against the Bama chapter, and we're, uh, we're trying to raise more money than them. So competition, you know, raising money for the troops is all good. Text-to-give. So let's uh, give that a plug right now. Do you know what that text message yeah. or number is right now? It's going to be something like USO Tigers or Tigers USO, but we'll be, uh, we'll be putting it up on the Jumbotron football game coming up soon. Oh, great. So this is in the planning stages. It hasn't started yet. It's going to be starting like next week. Okay, so we'll follow up with you, Eddie, and we'll get all that information. We'll put it on our website, and we'll, we'll uh, keep a running tally, and maybe uh, at the end of the football season we'll find out exactly who won that and how much money was raised for the USO. All right, let's have a round of applause for Eddie C. And for everybody here at Auburn University, thank you so much for hosting the Adam Rich Show. And thank you so much for listening to this week's show. I want to thank our guests, starting with the live audience at the University of New Hampshire and the hockey team and the football team at the University of New Hampshire, all the hard work they do for community service. We will see you next week right here on this station. The Adam Ritz Show is recorded live, both in studio and across the country. For information on this broadcast, including how to hear this show on a station in your city, visit adamritzshow.com.